Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. A couple things to get to here right off the top of the show this morning. we got to get to college football with Alabama winning the title. The odds are out for next year. There's an early preseason poll that has the Utes 11th. Yikes! Uh, we'll get to all of that coming up. We've also got uh, college basketball, the rare Monday afternoon game as the Utes host Colorado, and uh, that didn't go well. I mean, it went well for a while, and they were up by 10 at halftime, like on Saturday against 17th-ranked Oregon when they were up by 10 at halftime, and they give up a 15-0 run to Colorado right out of the locker room, immediately down five. Uh, what is up with the mentality of the youths, the level of confidence? As soon as they see they're having some success, yikes! Uh, but down five, then they battled. They don't quit. They don't roll over. They battle, they battle, they battle. It's a three-point game with less than two minutes to go, and they have a layup to get within a point, and they miss it, and they have a follow dunk to get within a point, and they miss it, and they're down and they lose. <sighs> I do not know what to say about this group other than the program seems to slip a little more each year. And this will be the fifth straight year that they've missed the NCAA tournament. Now 1-4 and four in league. Got uh, Stanford and Cal coming in Thursday and Saturday. And then off on the road for the Washington schools and at Colorado. If they don't win at Washington, I don't know when they'll snap that 12-game conference road losing streak. But just all the numbers are going the wrong way. Just, you know... Four straight conference losses, headed towards the fifth year without an NCAA tournament. Twelve straight conference road losses. You know, is the change coming this spring? I would think so, but no guarantees. Still COVID times and budget deficits, but I would think it's coming. Um, this is just going really poorly. All right, here's Larry Kristoviak after the game, after the Utes lose to Colorado. Coach, uh, it, it kind of seemed like the same thing that happened in the Oregon game. Just, you know, you guys got out to a really good lead and then, uh, you know, kind of sputtered in that second half. What happened in that second half? Uh, well, Trevor, it was a little bit different. I thought the other night was turnovers and tonight was rebounding. We got pounded on the uh, on the glass. We got them to miss. Uh, what did they out-rebound us? 49 to 31. So, uh, you know, the rebounds happen a lot. Miss shots happen a lot. You know, we we uh, we cleaned it up for Oregon, but this is a big physical team, and they pounded us. We missed blockouts, uh, you know, and that, that was super costly. And then we were 0 for 7 in the second half at the free throw line. So different story, same result. I don't know exactly what the good Lord has in mind for us here with uh, – Already a difficult year. We've we just played four really good teams, two on the road, two at home. I don't. I think you've watched them all. I know everybody on this call's watched them all, and we've had periods. I would say maybe two thirds of our basketball has been really good. A third hasn't. We come out with four losses, and it's uh, it's going to check our perseverance and stick to itiveness. And I think that in a, the cliff notes or the nutshell of our team at this point is there are no little things. Every little thing is a big thing. We go, uh, you know, shoot a normal free throw percentage. I don't know. I think it's a completely different game. You know, every little detail with the missed blockouts, uh, we, we just gotta, we just gotta keep moving forward and keep grinding. All right. Go ahead. Uh, Josh Furlong. You know, a guy like McKinley Wright obviously is is uh, really talented and, and and does really well. And he didn't have a, a lot of points tonight, but he seemed to kind of give your guards 
uh, kind of some fits and it seemed like there was a lot of rotation there. What was there something there was just trying to kind of get guys going and, and kind of changing up that rotation. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. McKinley writes an all league guard. That's uh, it seems like he's been at Colorado for about six years now. So that's kind of what good players do. We held him less than 10 points. He's been averaging 16 points. I don't think uh, our inability to handle him. We did a terrific job getting back in transition, but he's a captain, he's a leader, and he made enough plays to help his team. I don't think that's the storyline. I think it's, once again, it's the rebounding, getting pounded on the glass and and uh, our inability to make a free throw. All right, moving along to Josh Newman. Larry, what did you, what did you think of Colorado's execution late it seemed like you know a few times there in the last maybe two and a half or three minutes they needed a bucket you know and they found a way to get one yeah i'm not so sure about that i i gotta look at it uh, i thought our guys were pretty dialed in we, we we had some rotations um you know i i'm not gonna discredit our our defense or the execution of our defense in the final two minutes that's just not the storyline uh, our defense was unbelievable it really overall, but the problem is within defense, uh, within defense comes a big word. It's the, the, and I wrote it on the board. It's the early defense against Colorado, which is the pace at which they play. And I thought we did a good job of getting back and it's the end defense, which is obviously you don't get a stop until you get a rebound. And when you get pounded by close to 20 rebounds, that's the nature of the game. Uh, they got a couple in the last three minutes, two, three minutes that they missed and they got second shots. So, um, you know, I like, I like Colorado's team. I think Tad does a good job, but it wasn't an execution thing where, where we had breakdowns. It, it comes down to momentum and making free throws. We missed four free throws in the last few minutes of the game. You just can't do that. So I, I, uh, I'm proud of the way our guys are defending. We just put, we put too much heat. You know, you hear it in football all the time where one side of the ball puts too much pressure on the other until they succumb. I don't know how many open shots we can miss. And you got to see some of those going in. You know, and that's how you win games. I thought we did a good job playing on two feet a lot of the night, uh, finding guys, and we miss open shots. And certainly a free throw is an open shot. And that's part of the game. Our, uh, our offense just continues to put too much heat on our defense and you can't, you know, withstand the storm like, uh, like we've been trying to do as of late. All right. Moving along to Jay. Yeah, Larry, we saw, uh, Timmy Allen play point guard, like last eight minutes of the first half was really effective build a 10 point lead. Is that something that he's done in the past or I didn't see a lot last year, or was that just out of necessity? How did that kind of transpire? No, he's, he's played point guard. He played point guard in the Southern California trip uh, almost the whole second half at UCLA. Um, he does a good job with the ball in his hands. And, uh, you know, he does a good job getting to the basket. I, I just can't get over how many times he gets to the rim and gets fouled and it doesn't get called. Uh, but, you know, that means that we probably have – better shooters that he can find and kind of opens up the paint a little bit for us, but he's a tough matchup with the ball in his hands and our guys do a good job of screening for him and he can get down downhill and make some plays. So I think, uh, you know, it takes a little beat. McKinley Wright's a really good defender as well. And so, uh, 
obviously, if Timmy's playing the point, they can't have McKinley right. They're an elite. They're a top 40 team in pick and roll defensive coverage. And a lot of that has to do with McKinley. And when you make a small forward or even a power forward come out and guard Timmy in uh, a point guard situation, pick and roll defense, I think that it's a potential uh, problem. And it's actually been one of the bright spots for us. Offensive efficiency with the ball in his hands. It really gives us a good chance. We just got to make some of the shots. All right. We'll have Ethan Pierce go next. Hey coach. Um, so you guys, you guys have obviously been uh, struggling rebounding and it's kind of been an issue for you guys all year. Uh, do you have any plans on what you might do to fix that? Whether that's like a, a lineup change or shuffling around minutes or just whether that's better execution in practice. What are your, what are your thoughts on kind of how to fix the rebounding thing? Well, I, you know, I'd like everybody to be about 260 and 611, um, but we aren't going to be anytime soon. And so I think it's a variety of issues, and we've been working on it. We, we out-rebounded Oregon by 10. That wasn't the issue. It was a turnover issue, and we got to start putting all this stuff together. If you're undersized, you got to get some blockouts. Uh you got to be in a stance to start to end a possession. You, you know, maybe we're in a stance at the beginning of the possession. It kind of wears you out. You start standing up. You lose. I think the integral part of being a good rebounder is being in a defensive stance with vision. We call it pistol. So you see your man and you see the ball so that you're never surprised when either the guy shoots it and you've got to find your guy to block out or uh, your guy cuts to go uh, – you know, maybe you're not paying attention to the ball and you don't see the shot taken. So I think that's part of the problem is the discipline to stay in possessions to the end so that we can get dialed in. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to we're going to do everything we can from a basketball perspective to continue to work on it. Uh, there are times when maybe you're undersized and we don't have anybody on our team that looks like Evan Batty who might be 275. I'm not calling him fat. He's I like the kid. We talked before the game, but at the end of the day, he's a load. And uh, how many rebounds did he have tonight? He had, he only had six, uh, you know, but Deshaun Swartz is a big wing. He got four offensive rebounds. So it's, it's a combination of things and we're going to do what we can. We don't have a magic pill to get big and strong and, you know, look like a massive rebounder. So we're going to have to do what we can from a coaching perspective to, uh, to fix as much of it as we possibly can. All right. Going back to Trevor Allen. Coach uh, in, in just the second game uh, coming off the bench, Brandon Carlson showed that he, he, he was pretty comfortable in that role. He almost had a double double and then ended up getting injured. But uh, what were your thoughts on, on his second game coming off the bench? Well, you know, I, I, I like it. Uh, maybe it relieves a little bit of pressure. The fact that Brandon had nine rebounds, I think was terrific. Riley Batten had nine rebounds. Uh, you know, we got him to miss, uh, the defensive field goal percentage looks pretty good on the uh, game. Cause we held them to 35%, which puts you in elite territory. The problem is when you come down and you miss two shots and you make the third one, that's 33% shooting, but they end up scoring on that possession. And so, uh, you know, Brandon, uh, you know, got to put, got to continue to put some weight on him. And, but I thought he did a good job. Anytime he could get double digit rebounds in, uh, 
you know, 22 minutes, that's a rebound every two minutes, two and a half minutes. And that's a rate that we haven't seen. So I think he's really aware of it, cognizant and trying to, trying to help us. He, he was a physical presence for us inside. There's Larry Kristoviak after the game. As promised, the college football next is Alabama wins the title. And people think the youths are going to be pretty good next year. We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, the college football season is over. It ended as we expected. Alabama won. They didn't just win. They won big. They covered the spread. Oddly, the total points for the game was uh, 76, and Alabama won 52-24, which is 76 points. Uh, They were eight-and-a-half-point favorites, though, and they won this thing going away. Won by four touchdowns, 28 points. So Nick Saban's got his sixth title in 12 years at Alabama. He literally wins it on average every other year. He won one at LSU, so that's seven total. That surpasses Bear Bryant, who won six. It's the most in the poll era, which started back in 1936. So we're back in the leather helmets and no face masks. So it's, uh, it's an awesome run. It is a tremendous, incredible run by Saban, who uh, did not cover himself in glory when he left the Miami Dolphins. Uh, but that's all forgotten now. Uh, you win, you win big, and everything else melts away. And there you go. Uh, so there's the game. Uh, there's not much to break down in the game. They just Bama's offense went up and down the field at will. And Ohio State struggled to keep pace. 24 is kind of on the low end of what I was talking about yesterday of Ohio State scoring. I said I wouldn't be surprised if it got to 24, 28, 31. But I, think, I thought that they'd have to get into that 35, 38, 42 range, have a chance to win the game. And it turns out that was wrong. <laughs> Bam at 52. Maybe they wouldn't have scored so many points. There would have been pressure on them. Um, but they had 35 at halftime. It's not like they piled it on late. So just Bam is better. And that's the bottom line. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame, uh, that semifinal loss looks better in light of this one. Bam is just that much better than everybody else. So there you go. Now we're starting to see some predictions for next season. Of course, it's. Uh, you want the clicks on your website and all that. You put out your way-too-early prediction. And we have to let the transfer market settle down. There's still the second signing window, although for Power Fives, that's not as important. That's more for group of five teams. Um, I mean, Power Five will get some kids, but it's more the transfers they'll land. And we have to see who's off to the NFL and who at the last thing is going to decide, yeah, I am going, and who that we think is going is going to decide, no, I'm not going. Um, but Brett McMurphy, who we've had on the show, is a really good college football reporter. Uh, he put out his way too early poll and you know some of it was predictable predictable some of it was surprising he's got ohio state one and alabama two uh they're both gonna have a lot of losses to the nfl so you gotta let that shake out georgia oklahoma and clemson i mean literally just pick the same teams texas a&m iowa state he's got texas at number eight that's like the first surprising thing in his list uh north carolina and penn state 10 penn state with a terrible year this year uh 15 straight winning seasons and then it didn't happen this year uh, but how much of it do you put on it being the bizarro year? And then how much of these guys just fired up and ready to go? 
after how this year went. And also, they're expected to return 16 starters. So that's the top 10. And I started getting surprised when we got to the next 10. Utah at number 11. Did not see that coming. Now, the U defense played great and got a lot better over the course of five games. A lot more than I would have expected uh, out of them as far as progress. Uh, it, it was great. You know, offensively, they made no progress at quarterback. Uh, Cam Rising played 14 plays and then he got hurt. So, is he the starter? Um, They've got Charlie Brewer transferring in from Baylor, where he's played a lot. They've got Jaquindon Jackson transferring in from Texas. They've got Peter Costelli as a freshman. I don't, I don't know what the quarterback spot's going to look like. And then, obviously, with uh, Ty Jordan's death, um, you know what's going to happen to running back? They've got a freshman coming in. They've got a transfer coming in. How is this going to play out? Uh, but aside from all the talent, you know, just – all the emotion. You know, when they gather again and Ty isn't there, how is this going to play? You know, we've been talking this year about um, stress and anxiety um, and the pressure everybody's feeling, um, the isolation you feel uh, with COVID as you're trying not to be around people and gather like you normally do. And a lot of these players were put up in a hotel room so they could live by themselves. Kyle talked about that a little bit. Uh, so the contact tracing didn't el- eliminate guys. And Cougars were worried about that, too. Um, Zach Wilson talked about trying to sublet an apartment that was empty because students were, you know, online and studying from home. BYU students coming from all over the place. So obviously there's going to be a lot of apartments to sublet. And he was worried about that. And that, the, the mental stress that puts on people. But now this on top of it, the death of a teammate, I just don't know how you evaluate that. I was surprised the Utes were 11. They've got their Power Five team and their upper, you know, half to third of the Power Five. Uh, they've had a few good years in a row here, so not surprised they're ranked. But really thought, given all the question marks on offense, that they would be kind of the last five in. You know, somewhere between 20 and 25. Uh, Brett McMurphy puts him at 11. One man's opinion, but a guy who pays attention and really doesn't care what people think. He's going to get blasted no matter what, so he just puts out what he thinks. Uh, They did put Oregon at 12. He put Oregon at 12, so I guess that sort of makes the Utes the favorite in the Pac-12. Way too early. Uh, He did rank some other teams uh, Notre Dame was a 14, by the way. Cincinnati was a 17. But he ranked some other teams from the Pac-12. Washington at 19, ASU at 20, and then USC at 23. So five teams. I, I was surprised the youths were so high. I'm surprised that Oregon's so low. Oregon's recruiting classes have, have just been getting wide praise. And I... I haven't delved into it enough. I'm not sure exactly who's leaving. You know, they have big holes in some position groups because that's a problem that happens. Uh, but I thought on rep that they'd be like in the six, seven, eight range. They haven't been in the playoff, and the same teams keep going back to the playoffs. So you're not going to be up there in the top four. But I didn't think you didn't. You wouldn't have to drop down very far before you'd you'd run into Oregon. So. You know, that surprised me a little bit. And then I, I logged on to my internet, and, you know, we get, we get spammed like crazy. I logged on to my web, uh, web mail from an uh, email from the station uh, over the web at home. And, uh, <laughs> geez, you start finding already odds on the championship game next year. Really? Already? We're, we're, we're going to do this? Uh, and there were the Utes at 100 to 1, which they were in a big group of teams that included UCLA. So that was a little surprising. Um, but the thing I found interesting about it was that it put the Utes in the 20s, which, you know, kind of where I thought they were going to be. Um, and Oregon and USC were much higher, which I kind of thought Oregon and USC were going to be the favorites again. Um, wouldn't be surprised if the Utes picked second or third in the Pac 12 South. 
wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and it's way too early. And then, like I said, you know, there's a lot of stuff here to come, uh, still to come about um, who's leaving for the draft, who's really staying, who's transferring. So there's a lot of questions. It's way too early. Let's get to the end of the spring ball. That will still be too early, but at least we'll have a little more information. Um, BYU did have some long odds. They would essentially be among others receiving votes for winning the national title down there at 200 to 1. So, And they listed out like 80 teams because, you know, they're trying to get interest and they're trying to get people traffic at their website. They're trying to get people to bet. So there's that. But college football goes on the shelf now, and we'll see uh, we'll see where things get when we get to uh, spring football, which is really just a couple of months away. <laughs> so it's not it's not that far. We got a signing day in a little less than a month to wrap that up, which I think is a bigger deal for the group of fives. They'll be in pouncing on the kids who thought they were going to power fives but aren't, and they're now double-checking their options and waiting to see where transfers settle and where there might be playing time and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it'll be a little bigger. I think it's a bigger deal for Utah State. Um, but you never know if somebody will pick up a player or two. Probably more likely it's on the transfer market, but we'll see how that plays out. And college football will go on the shelf until that signing day in February, and then the uh, spring football getting underway uh, in March and April. So there you go. That's the college football season, and we'll put a bow on that, and Alabama wins again. All right, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, Steve Cleveland joins us to talk basketball, to talk jazz. The Jazz are playing in Cleveland tonight, Washington tomorrow. Uh, It's still pretty early on the East Coast, but I do think later in the show we might have an idea as far as how healthy Cleveland's going to be. Got a couple young guards who are playing well, but they've been out. Are they going to have Sexton or not? We can get into that later in the show. But we'll talk some basketball with Steve. Um, We had him on late in the show yesterday, and uh, we wanted to replay it for you early. We (laughs) even got into – he got into – to uh, shooting and not having any fans there and how unimportant the home court really seems to be right now and you know the importance of fans and, and shooting and and for college kids going to these big empty arenas he thinks BYU's going to have a huge home court advantage he'll explain that as he's it's always hard to come in from if you're playing in a five, three, four, five thousand seat gym and then come shoot in a 20,000 seat arena but then when there's no people there it gets really bizarro and the only way to train for it is go to the beach we'll explain that coming up stay with us DJ and PK it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller, DJ and the PK, DJ and PK in the morning. Brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Steve Cleveland's going to join us momentarily. Talk a little, uh, talk a little jazz basketball here. All right, PK, the Jazz picking up a pair of wins over the weekend, but everybody else in the West kind of clumped around. You, any of these teams? You got any insight in any of them? Who you believe in? Because we talk about, hey, are the Jazz good? Can the Jazz win? Well, what about these other guys? Are they good? Can they win? Uh, the Warriors did what the Jazz did. Got off to a great start. Had a big lead. Unlike the Jazz, who let the lead go down to five, uh, the Warriors fell behind and then rallied one right at the end. And they got the same record as the Jazz. 
So who are you buying? Who are you selling? I mean, they can't all win. Can't have 10 50 win teams. Well, you won't have 50 because you play 10 less games, but you get the point. Well, my, before we get to Steve Cleveland to answer your question, my top four right now after 10 11 games are Clippers, Lakers. Uh, I still believe in the Nuggets, even though they're down a little bit, and then the Jazz. Nuggets have put it together. I mean, they're back to 500 now at yeah. 5 and 5. But I would have suspected they would have been better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect them to get off to a better start. But uh, I Although, think... in defense, and I want to get to Steve immediately, I think the Nuggets took a little hit because a kid like Grant's now with Detroit. I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Took a hit, and it's an adjustment. Uh, they have won 4 of 5. Um, you know, the, you always have to look at schedule when a team gets hot, right? Have they been playing good teams? And uh, the Sixers win is a good win. The Mavericks loss, you know, that's another team that could be pretty good in the West. Let's bring in Steve Cleveland, our college basketball insider, but also our NBA insider as well. He talks all things basketball. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, Steve, you've got your, uh, you've got, uh, well, you're like us. The older you get, the more people you know, the more your fandom becomes about people. So, you're in Utah a long time. You know, a lot of people rooting for the Jazz, so you're following the Jazz. Uh, you grew up in California, a Laker fan, so you follow the Lakers. But you coach Paul George, so obviously you're following the Clippers. You got all these loyalties all over the place. Ten games into the season, if you set all these loyalties aside, who are you buying? Who are you a little worried about and think might be a little on the shaky side in the hyper-competitive West? You know, uh, I mean, obviously, I still think the Lakers, and I'll share some reasons for it, but I, you know, I still think the Lakers and the Clippers, just talent-wise and experience, uh, are, are still there. I think that... Uh, you know, Utah's recent road trip, uh, some surprising losses and some good wins. Uh, but I still believe in them. I, I believe in the systems, the culture, the the talent level, you know, just from what you've seen in the past. Denver is a, a little bit of a question mark. I, I, I picked up a little bit on right at the end of your conversation. I think they miss Grant significantly, that athletic guy that from inside, outside, he's just everywhere. They do miss him. I, I think Dallas is kind of underplayed. I mean, really, the kind of for me, watching Golden State, and again, it's a lot of it's who you've, who you've played, but they have surprised me. Wiseman seems to be better than people are thinking. Raymond Green's not close to what he can be, but it, you know, it, Wiggins has never been able to find a place that you know he really was himself and could play. If there's an environment where he can succeed, I think it's with the Warriors. So for me, the Warriors are are a bit of a surprise. I, I didn't see this happening. Uh, uh, that, that that doesn't mean still, you know, going forward that Denver can't be there. But for, for me, Golden State is, is is probably the surprise of the NBA right now. Um, it just uh, I just didn't expect it this quick and this soon. And uh, they don't have the depth that a lot of teams have, but certainly they've got a couple of special players. And uh, and really, you think about NBA basketball. I mean, it, it doesn't matter for the most part. The best thing about being at home is you sleep in your own bed, you have your own environment, and everything's good that way, mentally and emotionally for the players. But when you go into the arena, um, you know that that no longer has the impact that it's had in the past. And uh, I think that it neutralizes talent to a certain degree. It neutralizes great coaching. It neutralizes the, the home court. You know when. You, you go somewhere, there's not that intimidation. You take the fans out, and it does impact the game. I mean, I haven't analytically looked at this thing, what, what the game looks like with nobody watching versus 20,000. 
but I think we've all been watching this enough to know that uh, fans make a difference. That environment. And, you know, the thing that everybody thinks it makes a difference for the home team, which obviously it does, but there are teams, when you go on the road, that's, that's when a team is closest together. That's when the team makes most growth. It, it, you guys bond. They come together as us against the world. So even, the, even going on the road and, and not having fans to a certain degree impacts visiting teams as well because I, I just don't think we truly understand. I mean, I know, I know they're competitors and they're professionals and they'll play at their highest level. But I think you play at a higher level, you get inspired to give it a better effort, a second effort, a third effort, when there's 20,000 people in the arena. So uh, I, I would agree with kind of what you've been talking about. Uh, I haven't, you know, I mean, there's teams like you real, I, you watch New Orleans just because it's, they've got, a, you know, they're reconstructing that team and they've got some personality on that team. Uh, Dallas, obviously, has the ability to be there and probably will be, though, uh, they, they're missing Seth Curry. I mean, they're missing some of that perimeter shooting that, uh, that they've had in the past. So um, I, I, I go with the ones you're going with. I, I guess we haven't mentioned Phoenix. And uh, long term, can they sustain it? Uh, I don't know, but I, 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 they're going to make the playoffs. I, I, I firmly believe with Chris Paul and, and Booker and, and just the makeup of that team, they, they do make the playoffs. I guess we saw a little bit about that in the bubble. But I don't know if people really believed it was still going to carry over into the conference play. But you know, I guess this league right now kind of looks like the bubble a little bit still. So as far as the Jazz, they have a disheartening loss on Wednesday against the Knicks. They blow a big lead. And then they come back and they beat the Bucks on Friday. And the way I look at it is that I'm more encouraged by the win over Milwaukee than I am discouraged by the loss to the Knicks, knowing that that was a bad loss nevertheless. But I think in the circumstance early in the season, after coming off two losses in the New York area to the Nets and the Knicks, they had a little bit of a gut check time. And they had a little bit of, a, okay, we got to get this thing back on track. And they did it against a pretty good team in the East. So in my mind, I come away, to this point anyway, more encouraged than discouraged. You know, I would agree with you. You know, one of the interesting dynamics about teams is that we, we try to get people up. And as always a coach, you play certain teams and you know the guys in their mind. They already have a preconceived mindset. You know, we're playing the Knicks. Uh, you know, you look at that game and McDonough scores eight, Conley nine, you know, uh, O'Neal eight, Mitchell 19, I mean, Clarkson 19. I mean, bad offensive numbers. And I think a lot of times mental preparation, you know, obviously are on the road and those things happen. But for I, I just that that was just a mind blower for me to get them go there and win. So, but I do agree with you. Beating the Bucks is somebody they're going to be sky high for. They're mentally and emotionally ready, and and it carried over. And all of their guys scored. Everybody was in double figures. The guys that normally need to be, they shoot fifty percent from the th- uh, from the field and forty seven. I mean, when you make twenty five threes on the road, uh, you're 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 dialed in. And, and that's kind of what happened. So I agree that you, you go from that and say, okay, if they can do that against a really good Bucks team on the road, uh, it's, it's encouraging to feel like they're, they're a top-four team in the West. Um, and, and I think the key thing for the, all of these teams is, uh, you know, you, you kind of go – before you go through a year, you look at 
periods of time on the road, who you're playing, and in your mind you go, okay, these are these are winnable games. These are winnable games. We just got to come up. We got to make sure we're there. Um, hard, hard to do right now under the circumstances and with with the protocol, COVID protocol. Um, we, we look back, you know, we, we, the COVID put us in the bubble last year. The COVID this year could te- take contending teams completely out of the mix if these things don't get squared away. And uh, so, uh, I mean, I've seen teams missing five, six players besides the injury. I mean, it's one thing to deal with injuries, but to deal with the COVID protocol and have to be out for seven days or 10 days or whatever it ends up being, uh, that can be really disheartening, disruptive to a team, and to and there's nothing you can do about it. So I would I I can't even imagine being in an organization right now and conversations that are taking place and how this is happening. Is it due to just a a, a, a lack of attention to your environment and where you're going and how where you're hanging out? Uh, is it uh, you're spending too much family time and your family's with you, extended family members? I'm meaning, and where have they been? Uh, I think that th- those that survive this thing and are at, at the end, uh, you know, could be, could be, you could be in a situation where because you paid attention to the details of the protocol and that, you put yourself in a better situation. And maybe even in a situation, can you imagine if you're in a finals? And, and, and I think, I honestly think if this doesn't get better, we will be back to some kind of bubble. But can you imagine losing four or five significant players to COVID? For four or five days, and that being the reason you lost a championship or you lost in a second round or the third round, uh, I hope that doesn't happen. But man, early on looking at this thing, you pick up the paper every day. The people are going through it, and they're they're missing somebody. Steve Cleveland joining us here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone as congested as the standings are in the West. The Lakers, you think, are still the best team now? They got two new starters, three new rotation guys with Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench but playing a pretty good role. Uh, what have they got that separates them from everybody else and is as easy as just saying LeBron? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think number one, uh, <laughs> when he's playing, when you can, when you're seven foot tall and you can go on the perimeter and uh, you can knock three downs and stretch defenses and then go inside and have a presence, I mean, the combination of those two guys is, is, is something that's pretty special. I, I think, I think what they have. I think they've got older guys. I think they have more mature guys. You know, it's not a team of single. There are a lot of married guys on this team. That I think, in that sense, you're not tempted as a single guy to not you know, to be where you're supposed to be and not be places you shouldn't be, which impacts the health of the team and the protocol and all that. But uh, I, I think Harold picking him up that was a huge get. I mean, I, I know the Clippers are still really good. But that guy is something they didn't have. And, and you know, with, with Morris, another tough guy, it gives him depth on the bench. And uh, all of a sudden, his name is the, 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 the young kid that's playing for him. Um, and his name escapes me right now. But they're getting a lot of play out of a second-year guy, Tucker, uh, who has given them solid minutes. And Caruso's been hurt. But their bench is, is really good. I mean, we, we like, I like the Lakers when Rondo came in. Uh, but I, what I think with the group they have now, they have more guys that can score. And when healthy, uh, I think they have the most depth of any team in the league. And, uh, and you need it to deal with injuries, to deal with you know, shooting slumps, to deal with COVID. Uh, I think they have more depth. 
I, I know they can get exposed. I really do not like the Lakers when, you know, <laughs> Anthony is Davis is, is roaming around the perimeter. I, I like it when he starts low. He can be a five and be a presence and just make people come and double him. And then when he does go outside, you know, it's just it, they're a better team. I, I just don't like it when they start another big, and they do. They'll start Gasol, but Gasol's kind of a perimeter guy can shoot it. But I like Anthony Davis where he's in a situation that when he's ball screening, he's ball screening into the post and putting more pressure on defenses because sometimes last year in the playoffs, you know, he just kind of settled for mid-range shots and settled for threes sometimes. Uh, I think he has to have a presence in the post. He, he's he's going to be really – they're going to have to double him, and I think they've got enough shooters on this team now. Uh, Caldwell Pope seems to be getting a little bit healthier. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, they stay healthy. But I, I think the Lakers can be better than they were last year. And, and I know the Clippers uh, are, are formidable, and I think they're going to be a different team. Um, Paul George seems to be playing better, more and more confidence. I think they're focused. They got embarrassed, you know, worldwide. So they're going to come back and play better. But I still think those are the two teams. And uh, But it's fun to watch the Phoenix teams and the Houston, Utah, Golden State with Real, really good talent. Maybe not quite the depth. Uh, I love watching the NBA. I don't. I don't love it watching it with no fans, but it's still fun to watch. I'm going to go out on a limb and pick Gonzaga to win the West Coast Conference. How outrageous is that? <laughs> yeah, boy, I, I've watched them now three or four times, and uh, they have. They kind of have everything. I mean, if it, this is this is the best team he's ever coached. And he's got shooters. He's got athleticism. Um, and, you know, uh, again, uh, BYU really is – St. Mary's and BYU have been the one teams that could compete with them, could beat them. Uh, when I watched the BYU game, I mean, they, you know, BYU didn't quit. But at the end of the day, there's a significant difference between the talent, the experience. Um, you know, you, you got every, anybody coaching these days. I mean, people talk about coaching and say, you know, to get a Division One job, you got to be a pretty good coach. And coaching means more than X's and O's. And what Gonzaga's done to bring special, high, high, high-level players into that community over the years, uh, they've developed something there that's, that's amazing. And uh, so, yeah, but it, I think, I think it's, it's going to be a competitive league underneath that. And, uh, you know, Pepperdine's had a hard time even getting the team together. And uh, I know I, I, I look at my own community here in Fresno, and, you know, they, they had two practice games. They're playing against teams that have already had played nine and ten games. And I know with a young team, people who have young teams and didn't get practice games, what conference is going to be really hard. And, uh, but I, I, do like, I, I do like Santa Clara. I do like St. Mary's. Uh, I think that I don't think UOP is going to be as, as good as they've been. I think some of the teams that struggled last year, Pepperdine should be pretty good. They don't have a lot of depth, but uh, they, they've got good scorers in, in that group, but I don't think any of them are good enough to beat Gonzaga. Uh, they're good enough to beat each other, and so with a team like BYU, they've got to be ready. BYU's got some weapons and certainly has a ton of size and Guys coming off the bench now are giving them more. So I, I do like BYU's chances. If they, if they continue to play well, I like them in the NC2A tournament. And, uh, and, and I think that Gonzaga, I, I haven't watched St. Mary's enough to know. Uh, they're so well coached, but they seem that they're the third most talented team, them and Santa Clara. 
in San Francisco, I guess. San Francisco had a big win early on. They beat Villanova early in the year. I think it was a, a big upset that they had early mm-hmm. on. But those are probably the top four or five teams. Gonzaga winning it for sure. So, Steve, I think the question is, uh, can Gonzaga go undefeated? Because nobody's done it since Indiana in 1976. So I think we assume they're going to get through the regular season. Can they win the tournament? Yeah, well, uh, they can't win a national championship if uh, once they get out of the league, if they don't go undefeated. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, why, why can't they? I mean, they're, they're, you know, the, the – the odds of them doing it are, are not high only because there's injuries, there's COVID, there's so many other things that would make you doubt a little bit. But if there was ever going to be a Gonzaga team that went undefeated, this is the team. And the, the, the advantage, I remember being at the BYU-Gonzaga game last year. And, uh, and I, I was visiting and, and I went to the game and there's 20,000 people there. It was an environment that, you know, doesn't, exist in that conference other than them and Gonzaga. St. Mary's has a good environment, but it's only like 3,500 people. But that, that crowd willed that team to win that game. And I don't think that crowd, the lack of that crowd uh, in the WCC at any, any of those schools is going to have any impact on beating Gonzaga. Now, Gonzaga has to stay healthy. They've got to stay outside of covid and do those kinds of things. But if there was a team that could do it, this is the team. And nationally, I haven't, I haven't watched a lot of national games and know the, the strengths right now. It's, it's a little early. I'm gonna, I'll watch more games. But uh, they're, they're the best team in the country, and I think they're the best team in the country by you know, 10, 12 points. I mean, I, I do believe they're that dominant. But, hey, when you start talking about undefeated, I don't know if they'll play 30 games this year, but whatever the number is, it's never easy, but it's, it, it's been made easier because they're not going into any real hostile environments uh, where they could get nicked. And, uh, and even if the NC2A is in the bubble, I, I don't know if people are going to be in those games. They're going to have fan base. I hope they do. By April, it'd be fun. But in, a, in the world we live in of, of COVID, I think uh, that lends itself to even Gonzaga's more success because they've got mature foreign uh, you know, U- U.S. players that, that have been through this, and many of them, two or three of them, could have left and gone for the NBA last year. Uh, I, th- I think you'd say they've got a better chance than anybody else in the country going undefeated. How is it when you face everybody's best shot every night? That's got to be something. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and I know when I had really good teams, it was always hard on the road because the fans do make a difference. And you're not playing in those gyms. Uh, I, I think the biggest adjustment in, in the I think in the WCC is when uh, teams in the WCC come in and play in a big arena like BYU. And I, I watched a lot. I mean, as a coach, I watched it. I saw good teams who couldn't deal with the depth perception of an arena when they were playing in a more like a community college gym or something that held three thousand or four thousand people. It, it does make a difference. For Gonzaga, it doesn't. They, every practice game they play, they're on the they're on the road playing, you know, games at neutral sites and big arenas, uh, and so th- that doesn't impact Gonzaga because that's where they play. But it's it's fun to watch teams come into big arenas, and all of a sudden, you know, they're six for thirty three. They can't make a three because it just looks different. That's the that's the biggest difference. I I give you an example. 
I went to the state. They had playoffs uh, a, a year ago in California, and uh, a year before that, excuse me. And I went to see the games. I went with a friend and two really good teams, but uh, the, the, the best team came into that thing, and they ended up going like two for 28 from the three. They were obviously the most talented team. And but they had great shooters, and they, you know, coaching wise, they didn't make a lot of adjustments, and they got beat by about an eight seed team. And it was it was one of those things that being in an arena, you know, where this team was shooting thirty six to thirty seven percent from the three in a high school gym or in a junior college gym, you you get that perception, that depth perception, and for young younger players, seventeen eighteen year old players, it always takes an adjustment to learn how to shoot in those arenas. Uh, but not for Gonzaga because that's what they play in constantly. And again, you you take away the fan base. Um, it, it lends itself to Gonzaga doing something special. But yeah, if it is, regardless of all those things that play in their favor, it's still really, really, really hard. And I'm sure they'll have some close games. And and I'm sure there'll be maybe a game or two in uh, in the WCC that might be close on the road uh, where shots aren't going down or guys get in foul trouble early or hey. Somebody gets COVID. Somebody get you know what happens to Gonzaga if they lose two critical players, and so uh, you know hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully it doesn't happen to anybody. But I know in the West Coast, my goodness, you look at all the teams in the Big West, the Mountain West, uh, in 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 the WCC. Look at all the canceled canceled games, and uh, it, it's that's got to be a little difficult for a coaching staff who prepares. I think even Mark. Pope mentioned it, you know, they had been preparing for two teams and all of a sudden two days later they got to go to Gonzaga and do a prep there. And uh, I, don't, I think they would have liked more time, but I think they were happy to play the game. And I think it makes BYU better by playing great teams like that. But uh, not, not much about Gonzaga I don't like. Steve, I prepared for those 20,000 seat gyms by playing at the beach. Once you shoot through the early morning fog when you can barely see the rim from the free throw line, and then once it recedes and it's like a two-mile background, you can pretty much handle anything after that. Hey, I'm telling you, that's the absolute truth. And not very many people uh, that are listening to you today know that. And and I, I can remember being down at Newport on 33rd there and playing games, and it got windy, and you learned how to shoot there. And uh, down in San Clemente, down, down in Laguna Beach, they have right there are the railroad tracks. They, they've got courts. And, uh, and the funny thing is, you get older guys that, you know, they look like they were homeless to come on the court, you know, and you, you never, 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 never underestimate those guys because you know they've been playing there for 30 years. And uh, they knew how to deal with the moisture of the ball. They knew how to deal with the wind and, uh, and the sun. Like, that is a totally different game. So right on for that for that contribution. When you're because. when you're in the corner and the wind is blowing, you got to aim behind the backboard and you'll switch it every time. No question, no question. I when I was at Irvine Bland, we played a lot down there. And then when I we would go to Newport every summer with my family. And so we when I was younger, you know, we'd play all day long. You know, then just go in the water, come back and play all day long. But it was the best players. You know, in college and high school, and and literally, you you lose. You wait forty five minutes to an hour to get into a game again. And uh, and, and funny now, even in my sixties, uh, I'll pull into Newport. We'll go on thirty third off off the beach there, and I'll look at the courts and just have my greatest memories of 
being down at the beach for years with my family uh, is that court and those experiences and occasional fights here and there. Uh, old guys that look like they couldn't play but kicked your butt continually. And uh, so, yeah, beach, beach basketball down, down at the beach is, is the best. And uh, if you haven't done it, you, you got to go down and try it because it is a different game. Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. There's Steve Cleveland on Basketball Insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, college football's title game. Coming up next, stay with us.